0: Cutting-edge conversations with the quant community. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Mauro Cesar here speaking. In this episode of Quantcast, we are talking about the hedging valuation adjustment, or HVA, which is a way to quantify the impact of transaction costs on a portfolio of derivatives. HVA is, therefore, a new member of the fairly large family of valuation adjustments, and it's been introduced by Ben Burnett, director of the XVA Quant team at Barclays in London, who is our guest today. Hi Ben, how are you?
1: Hi Mara, very well, thanks.
0: Great to have you here. Yeah, your work titled The Cost of Hedging XVA, co authored with your colleague Ye Yang Williams, is now online in RisNet and it's in the April issue of RISC. It follows your paper published earlier this year in February in our pages. In that one, you introduced the concept of HVA, while here, you expand the research to make HVA consistent with the other valuation adjustments. But I'll let you explain better what we are talking about here. Could you please explain what HVA is and why it matters for a
1: derivatives book? Sure. So HVA, hedging valuation adjustment, as you say, is meant to capture the expected costs of hedging a derivatives book for an institution So your standard kind of valuation of a book of trades is along the lines of the black shoals assumptions where Valuation depends on the assumption you can hedge the book of derivatives uh, Continuously uh, every millisecond or something and you can hedge importantly at mid so every time you're Delta to your underlying Moves you will rehedge and you won't have to pay anything for that rehedging. You'll just go at mid now Traders are painfully aware, that that's not the case in the real world When you go out to hedge you're going to be on the outside of the spread You're going to have to pay the bid-ask spread Um, and so hedging isn't free and the base valuation will tend to ignore that HVA is exactly intended to capture that effect over the lifetime of a portfolio, over the lifetime of a book, the expected costs of friction, of transaction costs whenever you re hedge. Um, that's what HVA is. Why it's important, why it matters. Well, firstly, I guess if it's a cost, we want to know about it. Um, It's best to know about that upfront rather than finding out ten years down the line that you've hemorrhaged uh, a vast amount of money. Um, Secondly, I guess it's it's a bit like other valuation adjustments in this regard that you want to price in upfront potential costs because it allows you to correctly incentivize trades and it promotes the sustainability of your desk. I think that if you Price it in today as at trade inception, you're not going to find five years down the line that you've lost a vast amount of money and suddenly your business isn't sustainable. Um, and it leads to much less awkward conversations at that point. Yeah, indeed.
0: So, how is it calculated? How do you face that problem?
1: So, as it measures the expected costs of hedging, it takes various things into account. It first of all needs to it, it uh, depends on your hedging strategy. So in the simple case that we entertain in the papers where the trading desk, for instance, wants to keep their net delta on their book below a certain threshold. So whenever the net delta hits a certain threshold, they will rehedge, they'll flatten their book to get zero delta. In that situation, the HBA will depend on that threshold that's used in the strategy. It'll also depend on the cost of each rehedge as you would expect. So if hedging every basis point of rates risk costs you 0.1 basis points, let's say, on the bid ask, um, then that goes into the formula. And you would expect that, I think, if it cost you twice as much every time you rehedge, then your cost of hedging would be twice as much. So the HVA would be doubled. And the other main ingredient is the risks on your book. And Given that you re-hedge when your delta exceeds some threshold That that delta moves because you've got some gamma on your book. So it's gamma that really dictates the hva um, the cost of hedging depends on the size of your gamma on your book and It doesn't it doesn't depend Well, the, the fact it depends on the size of the gamma is kind of the crucial thing here It doesn't matter whether that gamma is positive or negative it's still going to lead to your delta moving by the same amount, whether it's up or down. And so you find that the HPA depends on the square of the gamma, which is perhaps a, a slightly violent scaling with the book level gamma, but quite a natural one. Firstly, insofar as it it avoids this kind of it, it means you're independent of the sign, as you should be for these friction costs. Secondly it leads to a rather nice incentivization where if you look at the HVA on a new trade, then it matters whether that new trade gamma is the same sign as or a different sign from your book level gamma. Because the important thing is you're going to hedge as a trader, your book as a whole. You're not going to hedge each trade individually. You're going to let them all offset within a book of trades and hedge the net effect there. So if a new trade, make your book gamma bigger, that's gonna make your your net hedging costs bigger because your delta is gonna change more frequently. And the HVA kind of shows that because there's this square of the gamma, you find that the HVA depends on the product of your book gamma and your new trade gamma when you're pricing a new deal. So if they have the same sign, your HVA will be a net cost and you'll potentially want to charge more in that case. If the trade has the opposite gamma to your book, it offsets it, it damps it. And so your book gamma will be less after the trade. You'll have to pay less on hedging costs over the lifetime. And you'll find that the HPA therefore incentivizes that trade in a very natural way. Um, so it, it, in some sense, it kind of could help to mitigate concentration risks in that regard, I suppose. But it also falls out quite naturally from the formulae. That we that we, we find for the HVA and the papers
0: okay i will I uh, would like to ask you um, a question more on gamma effect and cross gamma effect uh, in a moment, but first, um I presume you started working on this because you saw the opportunity to improve the standard practice in the industry in dealing with transaction costs in this context uh, so what are the uh, how are these costs typically dealt with in banks at the moment?
1: so that's a it's a difficult question because the answer will vary certainly from one bank to the next, the treatment of transaction costs, and even within a given bank, the treatment will vary from one trading desk to another and I think there's going there's a full spectrum so in the at one end you've got trading desks may simply literally ignore transaction costs. And Some desks that's fine for if a desk doesn't tend to run a large net gamma then fair enough in other desks. It might be a more Bold approach Um, At the opposite end of the spectrum I think you can have very sophisticated treatments of transaction costs and there's there's quite a bit of literature on pricing trades in various sophisticated models with various forms of transaction costs Um, a Lot of that literature is quite specific to given trade types or or will kind of view the trade on its own not allowing for the fact that it has to be hedged as part of a book, so kind of netted off. But there are sophisticated approaches and I think some desks will tend towards that extreme. And then in the middle, um you've got what's probably the most popular, which will be a, a more kind of heuristic or empirical approach, where Based on rules of thumb, based on experience, and looking at the day zero risks, so the risks on the trade at inception, maybe it's Gamma or it's Vega and things like that, um, just to try and get some kind of estimate of what transaction costs will be. But that approach would not be, you know, based on some particularly rigorous formulation, I think.
0: So, what is the advantage of having a A more rigorous quantification of transaction costs for a bank? What what should they see that should incentivize a more um,
1: thorough investigation of this? I think there's a few advantages to the rigorous approach. One is that hopefully it gives you more confidence in in the output that that it's uh, going to be actually right for this particular trade with its particular characteristics, but more generally I think the rigorous approach makes it extremely clear what assumptions you're making. You have to give a model to the rigorous approach, a model of much as if you're pricing any trade or any XVA, You will have to make some kind of model of how rates are going to move, of what volatilities look like, what bid-ask spreads look like in this case. Um, and it makes it very clear what your assumptions are. And it also makes it very clear how to flex those assumptions. So. If you made a very simple HVA model where friction costs, where bid us spreads are constant and um, volatilities are constant, et cetera, et cetera, you'll get one number. Um, you could then say, well, actually, I think bid our spreads aren't going to be constant. They're going to depend on market conditions in some way. I mean, I think we've seen that with, when crises occur, et cetera, liquidity goes through the floor. Um, in that situation you could enhance the model very in a very clear way to incorporate say some codependence between bid ask spreads and volatility or whatever you want to measure the market state with um, and so it it makes it very clear what your assumptions are it makes it obvious how to improve those assumptions and see the impact of various various changes you might make um, It gives you confidence that you might have the right number at the end because you're doing it almost as rigorously as other XVAs or even as some trade pricing. Um, And potentially, you even get an error estimate out at the end once you've got a calculation like this. Like you could get a standard error or something out from a simulation. You could get something very similar out from this, I think.
0: I see. Um, You spoke earlier about the effect of gamma. Uh, gamma levels on HVA and uh, you explain also in the paper that uh, cross gamma is more uh, impactful on HVA and you also explain uh, that the XVA desks are probably more impacted by uh, HVA in general. Could you explain the mechanism uh, determining these things?
1: Sure So in the, in the first paper for much of it, we just think of a single asset market or, or a book that's on a single underlying say a stock and in that situation all you've got of relevant is gamma because that's the only thing that's going to dictate how your delta varies as the market moves so how often you'll need to rehedge. As soon as you've got a portfolio on more than one underlying you don't just have gammas you've got cross gammas between those underlyings and if there's a non-zero cross gamma then That's going to impact your hedge costs as well, because if asset one moves, um, it's going to affect the delta of asset two through the cross gamma. So you're going to have to re-hedge asset two, sometimes just because asset one has moved. So the cross gammas are at least as important as the gammas would be in a single asset world. But in the real world, cross gammas, I think, can be significantly more important than pure gammas. The main reason there is that a pure gamma You could often hedge semi-statically you you could often go out there and find a, a liquid option that will offset that pure gamma For a cross gamma, it tends not to be quite the same story. There are For an awful lot of cross gammas. There just aren't liquid options markets covering that cross gamma that will allow you to Statically hedge it away. If you statically hedge away your gamma, then that's great. You don't need to worry about rehedging every, however however often because your deltas won't be moving if you've flattened your gamma. For a cross gamma, if you can't find a liquid option to offset that, you're stuck with a naked cross gamma. And so whenever one asset moves, the other asset's delta will move and you will have to rehedge that. And so you've got a kind of irreducible cost there, which means the, the HVA contribution of the cross gammas really can't be can't be hedged away with any options. And I think that's true even for fairly basic cross gammas. Like cross currency swaptions cover one of your most vanilla cross gammas. And even the market in those, I think, is is not particularly liquid, let alone considering something like a credit versus rates cross gamma or a credit versus oh, an awful lot of things. Um and and so that naturally means Desks that have these cross gammas are in the worst position on hedging costs and those desks will tend to be Well, they'll automatically be desks with multi asset portfolios So we're talking particularly hybrid desks or XVA desks An XVA desk has a multi asset portfolio not only because they've got CVA that links credit to uh, to other to, to whatever the underlying factors are of a counterparty portfolio but because XVA is kind of lumped together all of the underlines within any counterparty portfolio full stop so because you end up netting trades together in the calculation you get these cross gammas appearing between all kinds of things. The other thing that makes these desks particularly hostage to hedging costs I think is that say a flow desk which doesn't tend to have too much gamma or tends to be relatively limited in its assets or underlyings um, Can often rely on having reasonably balanced flow So not running too large a net gamma anyway before they even have to go out and hedge it away Um, For something like an XVA desk balanced flow just isn't something they can rely on XVAs will generally act as a cost to the institution um, as a kind of negative gamma position Um, so they've got kind of two combined features here. They they can't rely on balanced flow to help them out, and they've got all these cross gammas that can't be statically hedged away. Um, so so it all kind of combines in a rather perfect storm for hybrids and and particularly XVA desks to worry about these hedging costs.
0: I see. I see. Very interesting. Um, so coming to your uh, uh, paper that's just been published. Um, in that you uh, frame HBA in a context of other uh, valuation adjustment in a consistent framework and uh, obviously you have to deal with the interactions between different valuation adjustments. What, what did you encounter? What are what are those interactions? So
1: as you say that's in our second paper There's there's kind of two sides to the interactions. The first is to note that HVA isn't like other XVAs in, in one important way at least. So your standard XVAs like CVA credit, FVA for funding, et cetera, can in general be managed by a central desk, a central XVA trading desk, which will take those adjustments, will hedge those adjustments for the rest of the institution. For HVA, the story is unfortunately somewhat different because HVA measures the cost of hedging for a given trading desk, for someone with a specific book of trades, they can't give that HVA to a centralized desk because they're still the ones who are going to have to pay those hedging costs over the duration of their their book. Um, so handing the HVA over to a centralized desk would rather miss the point. So you end up with a picture as as we show, I think in the paper that each trading desk potentially has its own HVA, which may be bigger or smaller depending on the nature of the trading desk. And that includes then the XVA desk as a trading desk. If you have a centralized function there, it's going to have an HVA on its own hedging. It's going to have its own hedging costs. They are traders. Um, But in some sense, it's higher order because they're not they're not hedging the risks on the underlying trademarked markets, they're hedging the risks on the XVA portfolio, on the CVA and the FBA, et cetera. And, and so you get an HVA dependent on the gammas or the cross-gammas of the CBA and FVA themselves. And although it's a kind of conceptually higher order in that regard, it's an HVA on XVA, I think we show that it's numerically, potentially uh very much first order it can be it can be very much on the same scale as your standard xvas like cva
0: I see and how do you account for these interactions how do you put them in formula?
1: so the first well the, the paper shows that you can relatively straightforwardly apply the, the HVA kind of formalism to the same Set up as as you calculate your standard XVAs in and it falls out relatively naturally And you get a formula for your HVA if you're the XVA desk your your HVA depends as you'd expect on your gamma's on the XVAs Um, it has a couple of important differences from the naive HVA or the the simple HVA that an originating desk would have one being that it becomes contingent on counterparty survival in fact super contingent on counterparty survival because of the quadratic nature of the gamma dependence we mentioned earlier you find that the the dependency on counterparty survival becomes particularly strong in the HVA formula the other thing that falls out is that there are two main contributions to the HVA for an XVA desk one is what we've called drag HVA which is is really the same concept as the HVA we've been talking about. It's the cost of day to day hedging just because you are rehedging each time your delta moves due to your gammas and cross gammas. The other is is a, a close out HVA, um that that arises from counterparty closeouts and there's a kind of effect that originating desks don't really have to worry about.
0: I see. And uh, what is this particular close-out aspect that arises from uh, uh, HVA that you mentioned?
1: So when a counterparty defaults, the XVA desk, the job of the XVA desk is to kind of manage, to soak up that default. That's the reason they charge a CVA, the credit valuation adjustment, in the first place. And so they are the ones directly hit by that default. Now they'll have a credit hedge on against the counterparty, which should, if all all being well, uh soak up the change in in value um due to that default. But they'll also have other hedges on at the same time. So if the counterparty, for instance, had uh was trading a swap portfolio with the institution, then the XVA desk will have a load of rates trades on to hedge that uh that rates dependency of the underlying portfolio and if the counterparty defaults then suddenly those rate hedges start to look they become naked rates positions because the underlying portfolio has just been wiped out the offsetting effect there has gone and the XVA desk is sitting on naked rates positions which they need to unwind because you know the name of the game is to be hedged and That's what leads to a closeout HVA as we call it. It's the fact that when a counterparty defaults Your credit hedge, okay offsets that default nicely, but you're left with your rates hedges or your whatever other underlying Hedges be it stocks rates, whatever And you'll need to unwind them and basically you need to unwind as a bank the The full delta to the mark to market underlying there and that gives a, a separate term in the HVA that really falls entirely to the XVA desk. It's, we show the, the maths isn't particularly complex there, um, but it's it's something that's important to take account of in the case of XVA, which underlying desks hopefully don't need to worry about.
0: I see, I see. So to conclude, um, you say in the paper that this is not the end of the story. Um, so. What is the next step in developing this quantity and its use in practice?
1: I think there's a lot of potential directions for next steps. So one of the most obvious ones is perhaps the pragmatic step of the HPA formula is quite simple to write down. And it depends on, as we've said, your gammas and cross gammas and expectations of these quantities. It may be quite hard to calculate those in practice, at least to, cal- to calculate them precisely. And so there's a question over what the best approximations may be if you, if you don't think you can calculate those quantities precisely. Um, and I think we've, there are similar thoughts going on with things like MVA for margin valuation adjustment, um, which involve risks in future states. It's a, sa- it's a similar story here. So there's a question around what good approximations might be if they're needed. There's also more theoretical questions, I think. And and the formalism that we've shown in the papers is on purpose quite simple. We haven't, for instance, looked at quite what happens if you use realistic hedging instruments. We've done it in terms of quite idealized cases there. Um, we haven't looked at the effect of cash flows because when there's a cash flow uh, on your underlying portfolio, that's going to potentially affect your risks and you might need to re-hedge them. I think the close-out HVA is a kind of manifestation of that, but it's a more general effect. And there's also HVA captures the expected hedging costs, but it doesn't talk about, and it's not meant to talk about, the variability of PL profit and loss that you might have due to your hedging strategy. And that's that's an important dimension of it that I think there's more work to do on. So there's an awful lot of directions to push it in. Um, I, I think it's worth pushing it in those directions because, as we said, it's getting this right allows you to incentivize trades in the right way, allows you to promote a more sustainable business and, and price in up front what will come to be costs in the long run. Um, and so just as for CBA, FBA, et cetera, um, KBA, there are, there are significant benefits to getting this right, but I think there's work to be done to, to get to that kind of end point that we're looking for.
0: Yeah, and we'll be looking forward to the uh, next chapter of this. Um, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure other quants other will pick this up and, uh, and see the value of, uh, of this analysis and this quantity. Uh, Ben, thanks very much for uh, talking us through your works. It's It's been very, very interesting.
1: Thank you very much, Mara. It's been a pleasure.
0: And thanks, everybody, for listening.